finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Then when she found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that is lost. Just so, I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the world of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. How are you today? Good? I'm excited to be here. I appreciate the invitation of Christ's community. I've heard a lot about this church and uh, was so grateful for what you have done this year in Colombia and for Venezuela. Um, Christ's community did the Bibles to Borders project. And wow, $10,000 equated to 10,000 Bibles and New Testaments. Think about that, 10,000 Bibles in the hands of people who needed them. Um, we have seen an exodus of 5 million people out of Venezuela. It's quite, and uh, in, in the nation was about 30 million to start with. Some have come, some have gone back, they've left again. The border is busy every day. Um, before the border was closed by Venezuela, we would see about 40,000 people a day crossing the border at our particular border point. Uh, some of those would come in by food and necessities and go back into Venezuela, and about 15 to 20,000 of those would actually try to continue on to other countries in South America. After the border was closed by Venezuela, it dropped a little bit to about 25,000 a day, and uh, they would come across different trails that uh, all ended up where we have our church in La Parada, which is a small community outside of Cucuta, Colombia. And it's there... <clears throat> that we have our ministry, <coughs> excuse me, we have our ministry, and it was there that we were able to distribute Bibles to people who were leaving the country. We were able to minister to those who are living in the Cucuta La Parada area. There are many who come out with this great desire to continue, <coughs> me, to continue into Colombia, to Chile, to Ecuador, to Peru. Uh, but they can't go on because they have no money. So they kind of become refugees stuck at the border. Some of them are from uh, several hours, um, several days across Venezuela. They've already walked two or three or four days to get there. They don't want to go back. They're trying to get the money to go on, and they just kind of get stuck in La Parada. And so we gave Bibles to those people, and we ministered to them in our church. And then there are many who come across, as we've said, and go back. And we have pastors that we work with. So we actually had boxes of Bibles that you provided that we would send back with these pastors to various churches. And so you helped uh, put Bibles in the hands of many people in the northwestern part of Venezuela. And for that, I'm very, very, very grateful. Uh, that, that was a tremendous work. It was a tremendous blessing and is greatly appreciated. 
I also bring you greetings this morning from my wife Elsa and my daughter Gabby. Uh, they're back at our home in Bogota. They wish they could be here, especially my 18-year-old daughter. She would really love to be visiting the States. Uh, they're both Venezuelan by birth, and uh, we lived in Venezuela. My wife and I did for 23 years, and then um, have been in Colombia for the last uh, five years. But they greet you, and uh, they appreciate what you're doing, and uh, I've sent them word to try to find us online. Is it being broadcast today? Well, they'll find us on Facebook Live. Um, Elsa and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. We celebrated it in typical missionary style. She was in Venezuela doing a project, and I was at the border doing a project. But that's the way it is sometimes on the mission field. Our ministry was primarily in Venezuela. Originally, my career was a medical doctor, pediatrician by training. I was in practice in Waycross, Georgia, in the south part of Georgia, just above Jacksonville, Florida. And um, we, I heard the call of the Lord to be a missionary. I had begun to go on mission trips, and I really loved it. And one time, I sent the Lord telling me that you love this so much because this is what I'm calling you to do. So I went back and sold my practice and became a full-time medical missionary. That's how Kathy and Steve and I got linked through medical missions. And then I was in Venezuela, and I was at a church that we had helped found through an evangelist in Venezuela. He was going through health problems. So I stepped in to serve for three months, and then like 17 years later, I left that church, went back into missions. The situation in Venezuela became quite bad, as maybe you've heard. Uh, we left in 2016 or so and uh, thought it was bad then, and, but it has worsened since that. When we left, we had turned the churches over to indigenous pastors that we had trained there, Venezuelans that had been brought up and were prepared to do that and carry on the work. And we found that in order to support them, to raise money for the feeding programs and to do these different things, it was becoming almost, difficult, almost impossible in Venezuela. Uh, I've told stories of standing in line for two, three, four hours to buy food. Uh, toilet paper was hard to find, and that is a necessity. Um, water, would, we'd get rationed water like three times a day for an hour. And so when the water would come on, my wife and my daughter and I would would grab buckets to go fill up buckets. We'd have to wash the dishes, wash the clothes, flush the toilets, and do all of these things. Then it was to go stand in line for food, and then it was to go to the bank, which was closed, and um, electricity would be out for six to eight hours a day. And when you depend on internet, that's difficult. One day, the electricity was out. I was frustrated because I was trying to arrange for some ministers to come from the States. I couldn't communicate with them. The power came back on, and I said, great. I had gone to the bathroom. I came back. The Internet had gone out. And so we finally came to the point and said, if we're going to be effective, we need to relocate. So we went right across the border to Bogota, a big city of 10 million people, um, good banking systems and everything that we need. And from there, we can, when one hour, be in La Parada or Arauca or Puerto Carreño, and to do the ministries at the three border points. We can bring pastors over for training. We can bring our leaders over for conferences and for strategy sessions. 
We can send food back in uh, with them. We can ship Bibles across the border. So it has become a very good thing. And it's from, from there in Colombia that we work. Now, we want to show you a little bit about our ministry. I'm going to focus just on two things related to the border where Kathy and Steve and Nathan and his family came and, and talk about where this church could go, just to drop a hint, in 2022, maybe on June 11th or somewhere around there. Not that we've made plans, but uh, we would love to have you. But one thing that we do as a medical doctor, I, of course, was first into medical missions, and I found this great opportunity to help people with medical care and then provide the medicines that they would need for their treatment, antibiotic or, or something of that nature that they would need. And we would witness to them of the love of Christ by being there and meeting the need. When you meet the need of a mother's child, uh, they, they recognize what you're doing. And it opens their heart. So between seeing the doctor and getting their medicine, we would have local people from the church share Jesus with them and pray with them. And those that were interested, they were followed up on. Well, doing medical uh, projects became a little bit difficult. We still do them, but we have found another way to use that same principle, and uh, we do it with eyeglasses. And in particular, we do it with near vision glasses, reading glasses. And that has been such a blessing because they're, they're costly in Colombia and in Venezuela. In Venezuela, they almost uh, cannot be found. In Colombia, they're there, but the very poor people cannot afford them. And so you think, what's the big deal about glasses? Well, that uh, we can see two, three, four hundred people in a day in a clinic, give them good care, and they get glasses to where now they can read, they can study, they can read the Bible. I had one lady who was a Christian, and we gave her a pair of glasses. I helped her find which ones she needed. She put them on. She could see. Oh, boy, you should have heard her scream. She reached in her purse, pulled out this Bible. The print was so small that I couldn't read it with my glasses. But she looked, and she could read it. And she said that's the first time in 10 years that she had been able to read her Bible. Now, that's a great story. But what amazed me was that she had it with her. 10 years, she couldn't read it, but it was with her. She grabbed me, and I'm not prone to do a lot of dancing, but I danced that day. She put a bear hug on me, and we went around that clinic till I could get loose. But the joy is, is really something. And so people, you know, it can be a life-saving thing for some of them because some of these ladies work as a seamstress sewing, and others work in factories, and they get to where they can't do the close-up work. And so it really is quite a good thing. But then all of these people that come through, they're prayed with if they desire that, they get a Bible, they get a New Testament, they get tracts, they get followed up on. And so I brought a short video about Vision 2020 that uh, we're going to watch right now. Please.
that ministry was actually in Bogota, but it's the same thing that we do at the border. We also ship glasses in to Venezuela, and uh, from there, they're distributed across Venezuela so that even though we're not there, our people are able to do projects, and we've seen many people come to Christ. In one place where we did a Vision 2020 project, we also did it in conjunction with a project that we have called Project Joseph, where we feed children. It started as a children's feeding ministry, but then as the crisis worsened in Venezuela, we began to identify and feed elderly people. A lot of elderly people have had their children go to other countries with the idea that they would be able to get a job in Chile or Peru and then send money back to help mom and dad. And in some cases, in many cases, that just didn't work out the way it was planned. The people who go end up working and just surviving if they can get a job. And so there have been a lot of elderly people that um, have not had support and have had need of food. And so through Project Joseph, we meet their needs, and then we also can do medical care and vision care as well as visit them and, and pray with them and minister to them. Um, part of Project Joseph takes place at the border. And it's there that we have a church that through the years, the last several years, has grown to over 500 people. And the 500, it's 99.99% Venezuelan. The pastor's Colombian, his wife is Colombian, and a couple of workers from Colombia on that side. But most of them are refugees who have not been able to move on. And so it's there that uh, we have our primary ministry for the border, and it's there that we have our largest Project Joseph feeding program. Monday through Saturday, we feed uh, 800 uh, babies and uh, toddlers with formula or milk and cereal according to their age each morning and then we feed a thousand people at lunch um, and then in addition we have the ministries for clothing and of course we have church services and uh, we do many humanitarian things we have done the eyeglasses there we've done medical projects there and uh, I, I brought a short video it's just a video clip about 30 seconds that was done by a ministry called I am help who has helped us with projects there, and this was a little promotional video. But if you watch it closely, you can see some of the scenes that Nathan and his children and, and Kathy and Steve saw while they were there. Have you ever asked yourself how Venezuelans cross over to Colombia if the border is closed? The illegal <coughs> opened up all around the city of Cúcuta, where thousands cross each day. It is at these crossings that they are met by a missionary and his team who provide food to anyone that has something to carry. In this way, they are able to provide food, hope, rest, and the message of freedom that is found in Christ. Thank you, John, for being the voice of those that cry out at the border. So that is what we call the Christian church at the border. <coughs> I prefer to call it um, revival at the border because we're seeing a great work there, and we've actually moved into a new phase of the project where we are beginning to train people. We, you can identify after some time people who have the ability and the call of the Lord, and we're beginning to train them as Bible teachers and evangelists to go back into Venezuela. And uh, we have seen some people that we have sent back into Venezuela begin to pastor home groups and begin to establish some ministries and we really think that through the border, 
we're going to be able to impact Venezuela to, to quite a great degree. And it's that reason that we really appreciate the team that came in August, that contributed to that ministry, what you did through Bibles to the Border, and, uh, and, and appreciate your help and look forward to the coming year when we can expand upon that. Now, why would a doctor give up his career and profession as a medical doctor where I could do a lot of good? As my mama told me many times, there's a lot of people here in Waycross that need your help. She didn't want me to go to Latin America. But the thing is this. We need to be able to reach people. And as a medical professional, <coughs> I found that I could reach people through medicine. And then as I began to do that, that's what became my consuming passion, which was to reach the harvest that's in the world. I'm going to tell you a story at the end of this that Kathy and I witnessed firsthand and so that you'll know it's true. And out of that particular testimony came this message out of Luke 15. And the message is entitled, Motivation and Expectation. The motivation, the reason you do something, and the expectation, that which you desire or want or expect to see happen. Luke 15 reveals to us the heart of God. And the heart of God is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the reason Jesus came. And we find in this chapter three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son that we commonly call the story of the prodigal son. But in each case, something or someone was lost and through the actions of those that were taken to find that which was lost, we can see what was on the heart of Jesus. It begins by talking about Jesus uh, meeting with the, the, the sinners, the tax collectors, the down and out. And the religious people were upset about that. You know, religion will try to divide or separate from or protect the things of God from those who need God. Whereas Jesus came, and it's interesting that sinners were drawn to him. And that's what we see on the mission field. People are drawn when the love of God is demonstrated. When they see God, even if they don't understand, they are drawn. And so Jesus tells us in this first parable of the lost sheep, he says there are 99 sheep that are found, they're good. Actually, there were 100. The shepherd counts them, which shows us right there the heart because he's looking to make sure each one is there. Oh, my goodness, there's one missing. And he asked a question that really blew me away. He says, what man would not leave the 99 to go search for the one that's lost? Well, I think of myself as educated and perhaps logical, scientific, and I'm thinking, I took math in college, 99 is greater than one. Would I leave the 99 and risk the 99? He left them in the wilderness. He didn't take them back to the city, back to the pasture. 
or back to the corral. He left the 99 in the wilderness to go search for the one. Why? Well, it becomes clear that there is an urgency and an importance or significance given to reaching the one because the one is lost. That characteristic of being lost gives it an urgent value that in that moment is perhaps greater than the 99 who have no need of a Savior. And so the shepherd goes and begins to look. He searches for that sheep because if that sheep is not found, it will be dead. Sheep are not very bright animals. They, they cannot take care of themselves. And so the sheep wandered off. He perhaps was hurt. He was perhaps caught in a rock. Perhaps he was just wandering around aimlessly, but he had to be found before a predator would come and kill it. And there's another great word in this particular parable. It says that the shepherd searched until it was found. Not until the shepherd was tired, not until the shepherd wanted to go eat because he was hungry, not until he got worried about the 99, he searched until it was found. And then when he found it, he put it upon his shoulder and went back to town. He didn't go back to the 99 sheep. I missed that for some years. But he went back to town and rejoiced because there was so much joy over the one that had been found. That was a great preaching for me to preach for some years. And I used to share it, uh, particularly when I would come back and raise money in the States and we're going to look for that lost sheep. Well, I went on a project into the Andes Mountains of Ecuador. It was quite a difficult project. We had done it many times and had seen great results. We had reached many of the Quechua indigenous people. We would go to their different villages. They live high in the mountains, eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 feet up. We'd have to travel to a village, set up our medical clinic, see people. Some would come to Jesus. We would have someone of their own uh, tribe to minister to them and to help establish a church there. And we were quite excited about this work. So here I was again. This particular trip, in my estimation, was not going well. Up early at 5 in the morning, driving through the dangerous mountain roads, setting up, doing a project, doing medical care, no one interested in Jesus, no one interested in the church, go back at night to the city of Ambato, and then do the same thing the next day. We had gone all week, and we had not seen anyone that said, I want to receive Jesus. Not that seeds had not been planted, not that some of them would be changed, not that their villages would not later see churches or whatever, of course. But, you know, I'm an evangelist. I'm a medical doctor. I've got to come back, give a report to the churches. And you don't want to come back and say, well, there was nobody this week. But give me more money, and we'll go back again. The very last day, one lady in her 30s with a child on her lap received our medical care. We talked to her about Jesus. She began to cry. She had great needs in her life. We took her to one of the pastors, and she gave her heart to Jesus that day. The next day, I was on a plane going back to Georgia. And, and the Lord really impressed upon my heart. He says, if you're going to preach that all that we do is worth it for one, you have to believe that. All of the money that we spent for medicines, all of the hard travel, 
all of the, the money that people spent to go and do that project, all of the work, you have to believe it was worth it for that one lady. Her eternal destiny has been changed. And so I understood that day on the airplane going back to the States, the motivation for what we do, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're a missionary, whether you're a church, whatever, is to find that one lost sheep. Well, I was in Brazil sometime after that and pretty much shared that very same teaching in very much the way I just shared it with you. It was a Sunday night in a church south of uh, Campinas, Brazil. The pastor heard the message. The next day we started our clinic. After about an hour to two hours, he came to me with a young man. And he said, Dr. John, I want you to meet whatever his name was. He said he just gave his heart to Jesus. I was excited. We shook his hand and talked to him for a few moments. But then we had to go back to work. I had to go back to see more patients. The pastor had to go back to do more witnessing. He walked out. As he got to the door, he turned and said, this is great. He said, but now it's time to go look for one more lost sheep. And at that moment, my ministry was changed because I recognized, although we talk about reaching the one, we talk about projects, we talk about strategies, it's just simply looking for that one lost sheep. But then that one lost sheep becomes part of the 99. And we regroup and we go and we find another lost sheep. The story of the lady with the lost coin. She has 10 coins. She loses one. This day and time, in just about every country, the coins are worthless. We don't bother with coins in, the, in Colombia. I give them to my daughter. Now she passes them on to somebody else. And I, I'm thinking in the States the same thing. My son never uses money, coins. And so if you had 10, you lost one. Well, you still got nine, 90%. That's pretty good. But no, she tore her house up looking for the one lost coin. In the parable of the lost sheep, that's a parable about Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd. In the parable of the lost coin, the lady represents the church and the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. And so we have the same thing. The same mentality of the shepherd is in the church today because of the Holy Spirit in us to look for that one lost sheep or that one lost coin. And what joy there is when that one is found. In the story of the prodigal son, we have a very similar situation. The son goes off. He's lost. He's not in his right mind. He's deceived. And you say, well, the father didn't go looking for him, but the father was there. And you can tell that the father was expecting that son to come back because it says that while the son was even at a distance, the father sees him coming and runs to him. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father represents our heavenly father. He was prepared, he was ready, he was wanting that one lost son to come home. That's our motivation whether as our ministry, Global 21 in Latin America, or Christ Community Church, 
or the global universal church, our motivation is to reach people and make them disciples so that their eternal destiny is changed so that they become part of the family. But the message is entitled Motivation and Expectation. What is the expectation? Well, in John chapter 4, verse 35, it's Jesus says, Look, the fields are white unto harvest. That means something to me coming from South Georgia where we now have a resurgence of cotton production and acres and acres of South Georgia are planted in cotton. And so when you go driving down the highway, when the fields are white and ripe, they're ready to be harvested. It's a sight to behold. Jesus was saying, we're going to do it for one, but we can expect a harvest. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But again, he tells us, the harvest is plentiful. Yes, you're motivated. Do it all to change the life of one person. But in so doing, as you find the one and bring them into the 99, you go and find another one and bring them to the 99, you can expect a great harvest. Kathy and I have done projects where we have seen great harvests come in in Mexico and Belarus and Central America, South America, and Africa, and, and around the world. We can go and, and see hundreds of people come to Jesus in one to two weeks and, and see them come into the church and be discipled. We can plant seeds that bring forth a harvest. And all of this came together with the testimony that I referred to at the beginning that I want to tell you. There's a group of people called the Purepecha Indigenous Group in Mexico. I don't remember exactly where in Mexico. I could not go there today if I had to because it was in the mountains somewhere. It was a very difficult area, a very hostile environment. The Purepecha people were not very welcoming to Americans nor Mexicans. They had their own religion. They had their God of the sun or God of the moon. Uh, they didn't want the God of the Mexicans and the Americans. They didn't want Jesus, and they let us know that. We had a ministry in Mexico that wanted us to bring a medical team to help them in an outreach. Well, they sent a preliminary team in, and they were threatened, and they were run out of the villages. And they said, we'll kill you if you come. Well, we didn't get to where we were at by being stupid. And so we said, what are we going to do? Well, we went and set up at the base of their mountain. And there were all these Parepecha villages up in the mountain. And they were serious because before we went, they had killed a Mexican pastor and his wife and two young children. And so we were there. We started our medical clinic on a Monday morning. We had a few people come. But by Tuesday, they were streaming down the mountain from different Purepecha villages, and we were seeing their people, and we were quite busy on that Tuesday. They brought me an elderly man. They said he was 100 years old. I would have believed it if they said he was 120. He was very old, very, life had been hard in those mountains. It, it was amazing 
and he had lived to be 100 because life expectancy was short in that environment. I couldn't do much for him as a doctor with a stethoscope and an ophthalmoscope. I could look at his eyes, but what could I do for him at 100? And so I took him to the Mexican pastor and his mission team, his ministry team. They began to talk to him about Jesus. Well, that was good, but he'd never heard of Jesus. So they're going to start with the Bible. He didn't know anything about the Bible. So he said, well, what about God? Oh, yes, we believe in God, the God of the Son. And they had some other gods that they worshipped. And so the pastor had to begin with who God was, how God had created earth and man and, and had set this great plan in motion. The Indian became somewhat agitated as he was told about the fall of man, sin, but got excited when the plan of salvation was revealed through Jesus Christ. At the end, this 100-year-old man, literally with tears coming down his eyes, prayed to believe in Jesus. And he confessed that afternoon that Jesus was his Lord and Savior. I had not heard what happened to that man that night. I saw many, many patients after that. The next morning, I'm back in the medical clinic, which was the back of a, of a flatbed truck that had like a lean-to put over it. And I heard an awful noise. I mean, it was just, I couldn't describe what it was. I looked, and there was a procession. And there were people wailing and singing, crying. And then there were people carrying a coffin. And behind that were some of the indigenous men that had their shovels and picks to dig the grave for this funeral. Well, I looked at it. This is neat to see. It's not what we do in Georgia, but you learn things culturally as you go into different countries. And it was later that day that I found out it was the funeral for that 100-year-old indigenous man. He gave his heart to Jesus that day in our project. He went home, ate supper, and died in his sleep. Now think about that. Because of a medical team from Georgia and a nursing team from Kansas, we were there only hours before his death to share Jesus with him. I began to understand the incomprehensible grace of God. And this message of the lost sheep has meant something to me since that time. Here this man was for a hundred years like a lost sheep, literally in the mountains, not able to find God, not able to find Jesus. But we left the 99 and we went there. We drew him with medical care. We shared Jesus and he was found. I like to think that uh, he arrived at a great party in heaven of angels and people celebrating. It was his party because he'd only been saved a few hours before. That was the motivation then, and it's the motivation now. It's the motivation for the Bibles to the border. It's the motivation for ministry in Venezuela, Colombia. It's your motivation here in Shawnee, Kansas to go find that one. 
Oh, but what about the expectation? This unreached people group, the Purepecha Indians, where they had no churches in their villages, they had no scriptures in their language. After that project, so many indigenous came. Almost 700 expressed interest in Jesus, in Christianity. Many of them confessing Jesus that the Mexican ministry had to leave pastors and, and interns there to minister and to begin the discipleship program. So for the one, but we saw a harvest of almost 700. Today, you can look it up. The Porepecha Indians have churches in their villages. They have the scripture in their language. The motivation was for one. The expectation was that we could reach a great harvest, and that's what we saw. I encourage you in your individual life, in your ministry, to be motivated just to find that one lost sheep. But in your lifetime, expect the great harvest. I challenge the church to, to find that one lost sheep somewhere here on the streets of Shawnee. But to expect a great harvest, expect to grow. There is a great opportunity, whether here or overseas, to bring the gospel of Jesus and to make a difference. I know there is a hundred-year-old indigenous man in heaven today that I can't wait to see. He's there because Kathy and our ministries came together and we went and provided medical care. But we also know that there's a group of people, a nation of people that have been changed, that have the gospel, so that there are no other 100-year-old men who can go that long without having the opportunity to know the gospel. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can know your heart for the lost. We can know that you desire, even today, that we find that one lost sheep. And so, Father, we pray for lost family members. We pray for spouses. We pray for children. We pray for grandparents. We pray for um, aunts and uncles and cousins, those who need Jesus. We pray for those in our community. We pray for those in these two great states that we're at the border of, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for Colombia. We pray for Venezuela. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus came to save the lost. And we thank you that you desire to use us to reach them. Lord, we receive your word, and we want to follow after your heart. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our, our Savior. Amen and amen. Thank you. Let's give Pastor a round. Thank you for inspiring us all to chase after Jesus more and tell others about Christ. If you would stand with us as we sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
want us to take a second and in the quiet of our own hearts just pray to God and, and have him reveal to us who in our life is that one lost sheep that he's calling us to share the gospel with. For being here this morning, we're going to now go into the Apostles' Creed. If you would uh, please follow on the screen behind me, we'll read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the grave. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you believe those words, everyone who says that is invited to the table. We're going to go into communion now. If you're new to our church, uh, we do communion, and we come in groups of five to seven. There's a table up here at the front. There's also a table in the back. Um, as you're ready, come gather in groups and take the, the body of Jesus and the, the blood. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 